0: World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine.
2: Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexis Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed. The world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the FeedFeed Feed podcast, I'm speaking with members of the hashtag FeedFeed Feed community to hear their stories, get their culinary inspirations, and also hear about some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Bailey Ruskis, also known as Chef Bay. She is a seasoned chef, holistic nutrition, and health coach. Classically trained at La Cordon Bleu in San Francisco, she uses her culinary expertise to create rich flavors with clean, nourishing ingredients. She's also now a cookbook author, and her first book, Cook, Heal, Go Vegan, became a bestseller on Amazon last year, which is very exciting. She's also an advocate for people with chronic health ailments, animal welfare, and the environment. So I'm very pumped to be speaking to you, Bailey. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so
3: much for having me. I'm so excited.
2: Yay! So... I have heard a little bit about your story, but for those who don't know your kind of journey about how you discovered plant-based nutrition through kind of health issues, let's let's hear that uh, story because I think it's a very powerful one.
3: Yeah, definitely. So I'm a classically French trained chef, like you mentioned in my bio. I went to Le Cordon Bleu. Um, I started as a pastry chef, actually, even before I went to Le Cordon Bleu, and just kind of like found my journey through cooking through super classic techniques, learning from some of the best in the industry, and just became like totally obsessed with food and flavor and texture and smells and cultures and just learning from all different types of food from all over the world. Um, And that was kind of like my session, um, during all of that time, me working in restaurants, having my own private chef business, I also dealt with, um, severe chronic pain. So mm-hmm. I, was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was 11. And I was always taught that, you know, chronic pain and periods was just part of life. And it's just something that you have to deal with and it's just toughen up. You're a woman, you know, that whole narrative um, that women are told from a young age. And eventually it just got so debilitating for me. Um, that I had to actually move home with my parents when I was in my mid 20s. I had to leave my life in San Francisco behind oh my gosh. Um, because it just became so debilitating and I wasn't getting any real answers from any of my doctors. You know, I just felt like I had been shuffled around um, through the medical system from doctor to doctor. I remember one time I had this doctor looking through a sp- book of prescriptions. And she was like, okay, well, you haven't tried this one. Let's put you on this one. And the next time I come back with all these, you know, these symptoms and she's like, okay, well, this didn't work. Let's try this one. And I literally felt like a guinea pig.
1: Oh my gosh.
3: And it just got to the point where I was like, there's got to be more to life than this. You know, like here I am cooking food, doing something that I enjoy. But it got to the point that like I started to not even like to cook anymore. People would call me a chef and I would get super offended because I just didn't feel connected to food. And at that point is when I went back to school for nutrition, when I realized I wasn't getting answers from anyone and I needed to become my own health advocate in whatever way that meant at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty shocked at the state of our food system and learning about all of these things that I never really learned, you know, paying over $100,000 for a culinary arts education and working under some of the top chefs, like I never learned about the immense amount of chemicals in our food. I never learned about the conditions of dairy farms. I never learned about um, glyphosate, you know, like all this stuff that we're consuming, that we're paying for with our food that's contributing to chronic disease and, you know, environmental toxicities, all that stuff. Like I didn't know about any of it. And so it was like a really deep, uncomfortable awakening for me. And that's kind of how I shifted my own life and then shifted my whole entire career to basically be about this too. Because if you really look at how many people are struggling with chronic illness, it's really staggering. The statistics are so shocking and so humbling because you just see how many people in Western societies um, who are struggling from, you know, these food addictions, from having all this processed food, having, you know, all of this crazy stuff in our diets. And so I um, first, you know, wanted to get my own life together (laughs) and heal my (laughs) own body Yeah. And then through that process, I found a lot of people who are suffering. And then I was like, okay, there's more to this instead of just making. Because, you know, at the time when I was living in San Francisco, I was private chefing. And so I was working for professional athletes and, you know, top executives and working some of the most amazing penthouses I've ever seen in my life. And that's all fun and games. But, you know, I really wanted to create meals and plates and put out food that was going to mean something other than just that initial first bite, that initial first flavor. So I kind of shifted my whole culinary philosophy to being like that first bite is like just as important as it was before, but now it's about what happens after that's also important.
2: Yeah, really. And you mentioned something to me that really kind of stuck was, you know, a lot of culinary training was, or still is, you know, focusing on the pleasure of what happens when you have food in your mouth and not focusing on what happens as it, you know, Moves through your body. So it's kind exactly. of a really kind of eye opening way to think about it. Cause yeah, you enjoy all these things as you're chewing them and eating them. But then as, yeah. you know, your body processes, you know, like the additives and chemicals and whatever it is else that you're eating, things tend to go awry. So,
3: yes. Yes. Yes.
2: So for better or for worse, you've opened my eyes to that philosophy. So thank you. And also I'm mad at you.
3: Yeah, of course. It always starts with anger, right?
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you kind of completely pivoted everything you were doing. And I think a lot of what you do now is, you know, education and spreading Mm -hmm. awareness about, you know, these philosophies, but what is kind of, I guess, your favorite aspect of what it is that you're doing now?
3: Um, that's a really good question. I mean, selfishly, my favorite aspect is just being able to, um, have a better relationship with my body, my better, a better relationship to work. I think that, you know, sometimes I say that like the chef culture is like a culture of bruised male egos, like just, and that like crazy, like work until you're on the ground work ethic. Yeah. And It's just really nice to be able to create a space in the field as a woman doing something that probably none of my... my chef, you know, mentors would agree with, but at the same time, it's like I've created a life that works for me and is healthy and I'm not burning myself to like to the ground. Although writing a cookbook, like I definitely (laughs) got super burnt out.
4: Yeah. (laughs) That'll do it.
3: Yeah. But you know, it's a totally different burnout, right? Like you're creating something and yeah, I think that's my favorite part from like a selfish perspective. I think it's Great to create a new narrative for female chefs and just chefs in general, because I can't tell you how many, you know, cooks or line cooks or people who have worked in restaurants come to me and they just say, Hey, like I have all these health problems, or hey, like I'm dealing with drug addiction or alcoholism, or hey, like I haven't seen my family for six Christmases in a row. Like, how do I oh, get yeah. out of this cycle? And, you know, that's an important thing to talk about, especially when we're talking about people who work in the restaurant industry. And then on the other side of it, it's also like my favorite part is just helping people realize that they can eat healthy, they can eat plants. And it can also taste like a five-star meal, you know, like you don't have to sacrifice flavor for health. You can have both. And thousands of people have messaged me since the book came out, saying that, you know, I helped them go plant-based or I helped their grandma go plant-based who is having these health problems. And like, that is why I do what I do because, you know, food is something that we're so connected to every single day. You know, we eat three times a day. We're always grocery shopping or thinking about where we're going to go out to eat. And it's just like something that's so integrated in our lives. And so to be able to touch that in someone else that you don't know who lives across the world, who also is able to feel that philosophy and let that integrate into their lives in that way as well is super special.
2: That's amazing. Well, I want to take it back all the way to the beginning and hear about yeah. kind of how you got started with food. I mean, where, yes. where did you grow up? What was kind of your I guess culinary life growing up. What kind of food did your mm-hmm. parents make? Or if they made food, what was kind of the beginning, like baby Bailey? What was that all about as baby a particular
3: food? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, I love that question. Um, let me think. So my dad's parents um were immigrants from Poland, and so my grandparents on that side, and so my dad's dad was a chef, he was a oh, chef cool. in World War II. Yeah. And and my grandma, his mom, um, she was an amazing cook. And so (laughs) she would make like pierogies from scratch. And she died when I was young. She died when I was seven. But there are like these core memories that I have of eating her food and just having these like smells, like cooking onions, you know, like these Mm -hmm. like core memories that have stuck with me for you know, until now for forever, it feels like. And um, my mom's parents were the opposite. (laughs) They were like country club goers. They never cooked at home. They loved to eat out and eat out at restaurants and get reservations. And like, so it was like the total polar opposites. And I think I have both of those qualities now. Like I love to eat out. There's nothing more. I love it. It's my favorite
2: thing in the world. People, like, whenever anybody's like, what are your
3: hobbies outside of work and food? I'm, like, literally
2: just going out to eat. Like, I love just, like, whining and dining. It's so fun. Yes.
3: Oh, my God. Yes. And we'll have to wine and dine together one day. Oh, my gosh. That would be so fun. I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, it's a a whole vibe, right? Like, you get to go out. You get to try someone else's food. Like, imagine what they put inside of it. Like, pair it with cocktails. Like, it's a whole experience. So, I really love that. And I kind of, of every single week, I make sure I get the best of both worlds. And my parents were kind of a little bit of both too. Like my parents loved to get takeout, and they really supported me in the fact that like I was always really interested in food. Like I was the type of kid that if I had a bad day at school, I would come home and bake like a hundred cookies. And <laughs> so my you parents, young. Would, yeah, super young. My it's so funny. My brother would record um, videos of me like pretending i was like um uh emerald oh my gosh <laughs> when, I, when i was like 8 years old there's this cringy video of me i'm 8 i'm in like a, a like a swimsuit top my hair is wet from like swimming and i'm making chicken ravioli as an 8 year old but i'm using like a steak knife and i'm cutting on a glass cutting board oh and i'm like where is the parental supervision here like <laughs> What is going are on? You, are you
2: the youngest or the – Yeah,
3: I'm, I'm the youngest. Okay, that's yeah. why because you're the youngest. Yeah. They
2: were like, whatever.
3: They're like, just... yeah, she's got it. Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> She'll figure it out. <laughs> so true. So yeah, I've just like always been interested. I always used to watch cooking shows when I was young. And then um, my mom's best friend actually owns this pastry shop called A Grand Finale in Colorado. And she made like the best cakes and cannolis. Um and she offered me like a little summer job when I was 11 and, or oh around gosh, that time. eleven. Yeah. Well, because it was like summer camp, I was like yeah, kind true. of teetering out of Girl Scouts. And my mom's like, well, you can go back to summer camp or, you know, you can make, cause I was already making cookies and cooking a bunch at home. And mom was like, or you can make money. And like, you know, you know, it was like, I think it was like $5 an hour or something. So silly. Honestly, that was like, out of a jam. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And you can make cannolis. And I was like, "Um, yeah, I'm going to go make cannolis. And so I did that for a few summers and honestly, I'll never forget it because I just was so fascinated by being in a kitchen and like making cake boxes and like cleaning the glass, the display glass. And um, there was just something about working with your hands to me that always felt super therapeutic and being able to like give people these beautiful pastries and seeing the smile on their face. So yeah, it's been forever honestly. I've just this food has been my life since the very beginning and even in high school I managed a bakery, a bagel shop.
0: So oh I would gosh. wake up at
3: 3:34 in the morning, go to work and then I would work like a full 8-hour shift and then I would go to school. What? So, yeah. Okay. So you
2: were like (laughs) amazingly driven, possibly demented, but like in the best way.
3: (laughs) But to make anyone else out there feel better, I had horrible grades in school because I was mainly just focused on working. So, you know, it had, it was like a give and take. It had to kind of, had to give somewhere.
2: Yes. Okay. Well, that is uh, probably (laughs) out of everybody I've interviewed, like the most. Childhood, um, childhood ambition—I've ever heard.
3: Of. <laughs> yes, the obsession was real, for sure. Still wow. is. Still is.
2: Okay, mm-hmm. so as you kind of evolve from <laughs> literal <laughs> elementary school restaurant manager <laughs> to, <laughs> to where you are now, I mean, I yeah. know you went to culinary school and did all that, but mm-hmm. I guess how would you? Describe kind of the change in your cooking style other than, of course, going plant-based. But are there of kind of certain type of cuisines that you kind of adopted yeah. more of after your traditional French training? Or there's some favorites yeah. of yours that you really like embraced? What was kind of the evolution like
3: there? Well, I spent like a lot of my 20s actually traveling Mexico. Um and so that was like a huge food revolution for me just being able to experiment with those flavors and spices and learning from you know grandmothers and um most of my best friends are actually Mexican and so mm. their their families are from Mexico. Yeah. And so I've just really like been warmly accepted to that into that culture and just like learned so many different ways and styles of cooking that i never learned from the french perspective um or like the polish eastern european perspective and yeah. so that was like a very eye opening way of cooking for me and like my first experience cooking with Different ethnicities, um, and I actually have a whole chapter in my cookbook all around vegan Mexican because when oh, you're yeah. transitioning to a plant based di- diet, I always say like you got to start with Mexican food because there's so many spices and flavors and textures mm-hmm. and like as there is with all cuisines. But I think that there's just something special about like the different peppers and the different citruses and like all the different spices that you use in Mexican cooking that can really like translate really easily to a plant based diet. And so that definitely shaped me a lot. Um during my early during my twenties in general, I had a a boyfriend that lived in Mexico. Like I really Wow, you were all in. (laughs) Yeah. I like really embraced the culture. Uh Um and and so, yeah, actually, one of my best friends, um, she owns, her family owns like a bunch of different Mexican restaurants in Palo Alto area, mm-hmm. and um, she's, her family has taught me so much just about like shamanism and like using energy through food, and yeah, so that was just a huge influence for me in my twenties. And honestly, going plant based made me a better chef. Like I always felt like I was trying to fit in with the boys' club. Nice. before, you know, like I always felt like like cooking steaks or or um, cooking a certain way, trying to be like this this chef or trying to fit in with my mentor or whatever. Always felt like I was just trying to do something that necessarily wasn't my own style. You know, I was just you're fitting in. To fit in. Yeah. yeah. And I think we all do that, especially when we're young and we're trying to get in with an industry. We're trying to get people to like us. And um, when I went plant-based, I just stopped thinking about all that stuff. I just started cooking really truly from my heart and trying to figure out a way to make this plant-based lifestyle like satisfy me in all the ways that my other lifestyle did, but even more because I was you know feeling full other than just like physically right like i was spiritually yeah. feeling full and it was taking me to different levels than just like the actual act of eating and cooking and so um yeah it just it made me a better chef i really understood the plant world so much more and i think you know from a traditional cooking standpoint we we use a majority of our calories are going towards animal protein because mm-hmm. they're so calorie dense and so when you take out that huge portion of calories on the plate, which is the animal protein or the dairy, which is still animal protein, you take that out, you have so much more to work with. And so you just, the creativity just expands so much. And even if you're making something that let's say like a One of my favorite recipes in the cookbook is like a mushroom carnitas, right? So even if I'm making like a a quote unquote carnitas or like a vegan carnitas, it's so much more interesting to me because I'm using different types of mushrooms that I never would have used before.
2: Like what? Um, so, what like?
3: I'm, I know some types of mushrooms, but I'm sure you know of a lot yeah, more. than so what know. are the
2: types of mushrooms that you use in that?
3: I love like blue oyster mushrooms right now. Those ones are like so delicious. What
2: is so the blue oyster and regular oyster mushrooms?
3: They're literally blue. What? <laughs> yes. They're oh so – Cool. They're so trippy, honestly. Oh my gosh, where do you get those? Um, I get them at the farmers market here whenever I can find them. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. California farmers yeah. markets are really California. Sick. But you can order them. Um, you can order them online or just do like a mushroom growing kit. You can you can grow them.
2: Oh, okay. Um, I want them.
3: <laughs> yeah, I love my talkie mushrooms too. My talkies are an amazing meat replacement. I made my husband just like fajitas the other night with my takis and he was like super confused because they tasted so meaty and he was like, what's going on? I was like, no, don't worry. They're just mushrooms. Yeah. Don't
2: worry. Um,
3: Yeah. Also like king oysters are amazing. King oysters are like the OG and like lion's mane is so good as like a crab replacement. Um, yeah, I could go on and on about all the mushrooms. Like, little Yum. morel mushrooms are so good. Enoki mushrooms are yes. some of my absolute favorite because they're, like, the super tiny ones. Yeah, and they can, they can be, like, um, pasta-ish almost. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love putting those raw, like, on top of a ramen, like, a really hot mm-hmm. ramen broth because then they just, like, cook in the broth as they're sitting there, so – yeah, this could just turn into the mushroom podcast. Yeah, they will just be the mushroom <laughs> show.
2: And there's a bunch exactly. of. I need to probably pay more attention because I kind of just watch them as entertainment. But I feel like there's a fair amount of mushroom slash fungi like content creators who post yeah really cool totally. like, informational stuff about mushrooms in the wild. And you know, I kind of yeah. like, Oh, that looks cool, but I don't really internalize it. But as yeah, I feel like I myself have sort of had this semi, you know, not awakening, but kind of shifting gears in the way I think about food in the last honestly few weeks. I don't know why it just kind of started clicking for me. And then like talking to you yesterday. And I think I spoke to I had another guest on the podcast who was also very plant forward. And I feel like it's just like you hear something so many times and you kind of just let it go in one ear, not the other, so many times. And then at a certain point it kind of starts to sink in because yeah. I don't have anything against, you know, eating plant based. It's just not how what I really prioritized making that shift in my life. I was kind of like, totally. yeah, I mean, I eat generally healthy and I work out a lot. Like it's fine. Yeah. You know, like I feel good. There's no problem. But I think it's kind of starting to sink in more and more. And like what we talked about yesterday about kind of like making just little swaps. Like I finally bought my like, milk and stuff. I'm like, you yes. know what? We've got it. Like we're gonna start. <laughs> <There she goes. laughs> yeah, we're gonna start doing a couple small things. So I feel like, yeah, what you're kind of talking about with like mushroom variety and like spice and citrus and kind of flexing those muscles in different ways seems kind of really interesting to me. And another thing I wanted to ask you, what you talked about Mexican food being a really good kind of stepping stone into cooking mm-hmm. more plant-based. I always felt that way about Indian food. Would you agree? Oh my
3: God, totally. Okay. I thought so. (laughs) I love Indian food. I'm still such a humble student when it comes to Indian food. Oh, it's intense. Like it's not easy, but... Yeah. yeah. No, and I have my recipes that I have tweaked the Chef Way, of course. You know, I have some in my cookbook, but um, yeah, I think, you know there's so much respect for like the different spices used in Indian dishes and the way that they toast them and grind them and um, the layers and how they put them in. And yeah, there's just like so much to learn. It's so exciting. I think Indian food is amazing, but I think for someone who's like not the best cook or they're kind of just getting into plant-based food, I think that going out to an Indian restaurant is a really good way to experience like an easy plant based dish, but I think it could be just like a little bit more intimidating for someone um, to kind of like dive into yes. a dish that has like a whole bunch of different new spices and different lentils and different herbs. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I definitely think it's like a more like, I don't want to say like intermediate, but you definitely got to be like a little bit more comfortable just like with your own flow in the kitchen when diving into a cuisine like Indian food. But that's of course just my...
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, my parents love Indian food. Like it's probably their favorite lately. And it's kind of new within the last couple of years. Um, And they both are really good cooks. You know, they've been in the restaurant industry their whole careers, and they still can't figure it out. They're (laughs) They're like, you know, they'll follow a recipe here and there. But it's like, my dad actually just the other day, he's like, I've been asking for one of those – you know how like those – You know, a lot of Indian kitchens, they have the gorgeous little like spice um, containers with like all the different ones around it. He's like, I've been asking for this for my birthday for years and why haven't you guys got it for me? (laughs) So I think, yeah, I mean even what you're saying makes 100% sense and it like is honestly kind of the beautiful thing about it is that it does kind of take some practice in like getting to know the culture and why spices Mm -hmm. are used in the way that they are. But it's not like – just pick up one day and decide to start cooking Indian cuisine. That's not really how it works. Yeah,
3: <laughs> for better, it is. Most. It is a yeah. It's a little more complex, I would say. So, like, I have a dish in my cookbook called Chana Sog, and I think that's a really good one to start with um, because it's just like a little. There's just like a few spices in there, and it's actually I love that recipe because you get like four servings of greens in Ooh. one. In one serving, so I love that recipe for that reason too. So that's a really good place to start too. But yeah, it's definitely like Indian food though. Going out, if you want to get like a more plant forward, and also like lentils are, you know, the superfood of all superfoods. They're yes. so high in so many different nutrients. They're so high in iron. Like if you look at lentils compared to beef, um, it's the same amount of iron. You know, really? so yes, oh, yes. My. Yes. So when you look at like the different, like the comparisons, you know, people will be like, oh, what about iron? What about protein? Whatever. Lentils are like the goat. Like, lentils are, <laughs> they are the top of the line when it comes to digestion and fiber and nutrient absorption. Like, lentils are amazing. So when you get lentils in Indian dishes, not only do they taste so freaking good, um, but they're cooked all the way through and they're so tasty and you can digest them so well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I highly recommend anyone listening if you want to eat a more plant forward lifestyle, try switching out like some of your animal protein for lentils um, in salads or curries or anything. and um you'll feel really good about it. okay. I am down for that.
2: I actually, um for one reason or another, nothing against you know the cuisine. I was you know uh, Indian food can be a sort of acquired taste if you're not used to it. and um, mm-hmm. since my parents have started loving it more and more, I have. Come around slowly, and you know they want to go out to an Indian restaurant. I'm like, oh, can't we do sushi or whatever? You know? Yeah. And so I I went with them recently, and I was like, okay, whatever. Let's I'll bite. Let's go. And yeah, the lentil dish just blew me away. Like so good, blew me away. I was Incredible. like, I am so yeah. dumb. Why haven't I been eating more of this? <laughs> like this is on me. This is like I'm the problem. But yeah, hundred percent. The lit the Indian style lentil dishes, or even just incorporating lentils, however. However, you yeah. want to is like exactly. such a game changer. So mm-hmm. I'm all in on that. <laughs> I feel like I've had this like I don't know like metamorphosis over the last like month or so, where I'm just like, oh my eyes! I've been involved with food, food awakening. Yeah. Yes, I've been involved <laughs> with food like my whole life, and you know, involved in this as my career for years now. And now all of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> something about there must be something in the stars, like some astrology thing that's like actually Maybe. making me not be a pain in the ass anymore i don't know we'll see i don't know
3: Stay tuned. <laughs> we'll see yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: all right we're gonna take a quick break and hear from our sponsors
1: this episode is brought to you by roberta's home of heritage radio network for 10 years roberta's was founded in bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hi, I'm Katie
4: Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of HRN. HRN is dedicated to amplifying small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. Today, I'm asking business owners to take part in our business membership drive by supporting HRN's mission with a $500 membership. HRN will shine a light on your work and you'll help sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website and more. You'll also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit Food Radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org/biz to become a business member today that's heritageradio.network.org/biz. Thank you for your support.
2: Another thing that I'm really interested in with you is you were talking to me yesterday about how you incorporate a lot of your like, you know, five-star chef techniques into mm-hmm. plant-based dishes and I really yes. want to hear kind of some examples of that because that really perked my ears up as well because you think about You know, vegan, you know, I follow some vegan, you know, influencers or whatever, and I feel like they're just eating like broccoli and beans. And I'm like, okay, like, no thanks.
3: (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, for me, like, food is such a source of pleasure for me. It's a source of happiness, it's a source of escape. And, you know, I really needed to have that. Like, it's not something that I was willing to let go of, no matter how sick I was. And so it was really important for me to find, all of that within, you know, the new parameters of me healing my body and different techniques that I use is like I cook with a cast iron constantly. I'm obsessed. I have like this cast iron flat top that lives on my kitchen stove. And <laughs> oh my God, I like cook my toast on it. I'm constantly like it's like searing. unnecessary even. It's <laughs> like just going for it. Yeah, like I literally love toast on the cast iron. There's <laughs> nothing better than a fresh sourdough with like really good olive oil cooked on this on the cast iron. Oh my god, it's Ooh. like ugh, okay, I'm it's gonna do that. So good because
2: I've been doing yeah. it in just like the regular pan with the olive oil and the the bread, but no, cast, the cast iron. iron. Okay. The cast iron. Got it's it.
3: amazing. I'm and the in. flat top cast iron is like a whole new level. And I also love to like sear bok choy on the cast iron or like marinate my tofu and then sear that on my cast iron because it just gives it this like extra level of just like, oh, it's so good. I'm actually getting hungry talking about like all this <laughs> stuff right now. Yes. And um, what else? Like caramelizing onions. Like I love caramelized onions, pickling onions. I mean, onions and garlic will forever just be the staples, you know, like when you think about not plant-based food, the things that make it taste really good other than fat would be all these other things like onions and garlic Mm -hmm. and spices and different kinds of salts. Um, So yeah. And then what else was I going to say? Oh yeah. I'm always deglazing pans. So like I make my own veggie broth, um, from all my food scraps, which I love and depending on the season. So like for instance, in the winter, I love my veggie broth because I use like all my skins of my butternut squash and all of like the garlic peels and the onion peels, like all the squash peels make your broth like a little bit sweeter. I love that. And so it's really great, like when you're cooking a pan and your pan gets too hot. And instead of adding more oil and or taking it from the pan, all you do is just like splash it with some veggie broth, so you can deglaze the pan, and you get all that flavor just like reincorporated back into your food, and you don't waste it by just like burning it to the bottom. So yes. that's a classic technique that I will like take with me forever. And you can deglaze with, you know, traditionally you deglaze with wine, but you can deglaze with broth. You can deglaze with water. Um, it doesn't have to be wine. Although deglazing with wine is always a vibe Yeah, you don't have to. I've deglazed with tequila before actually.
2: (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, Yeah, we're talking about Mexican cooking. Let's just go for it.
3: (laughs) I have a pozole recipe that, yeah, I use mezcal to deglaze the pan and it's so good. Um, so, so yeah, there's just like little classic techniques. And then um, with baking and pastry, you know, it really is easy to create vegan pastry dishes, mm-hmm. especially with all the alternatives. Now I have a butter recipe in my cookbook that's a one-to-one butter. It's kind of like Miyoko's actually, um, but it's insanely delicious. You could make croissants with it. You could make anything that a butter would call for by using – this plant butter instead. That's in my cookbook. And I think there's four ingredients, five ingredients. So nice. It's super clean. Um, and yeah, it's like one to one. So That's I think the, awesome. the I think the the hardest thing would be gluten-free vegan baking.
2: Yes. I was just about I was literally thinking that in my head because you talk about one-to-one, and I've, you know, I'd heard of yeah. certain like one-to-one gluten-free flours and stuff, but it's mm-hmm. tricky and it's really hard to get that.
3: It's, if you're oh, one or the other,
2: if you're one or the other, yeah. like sure, but both is
3: really hard. It's just like when you remove the gluten, when you remove that binding protein, yeah, it's really hard to simulate um, to simulate that. Especially when you're making something like a croissant, right? Or yes. certain things are like a, a pie crust for the top rather than just for the bottom. It's really hard because you need that binding protein to get this thing to stay together, which what's makes gluten free you know, pastry making so challenging and I've tasted some incredible gluten-free pastries before and I have some good, I'm not going to call them incredible, but I think they're (laughs) decent recipes. (laughs) Possible, (laughs) They're good. Yeah. But they're not like, you know, I don't know if I would sell them in a bake shop, but like I, for instance, I have a gluten-free vegan um, mocha chocolate four layer cake in the cookbook Mm. and it's really good. Like it's fire, but that took me like, you know, 10 tries to get perfect and there's a lot of ingredients in it. So it's definitely just like a little bit more complicated. I would say gluten-free vegan, but doesn't mean that it's impossible.
2: All right. Well, I like that. You know, if there's a will, there's a way. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So tell me some ingredients that you always have on hand. I'm sure they're very different than like the traditional ingredients that most people always have on hand, but what do you always have?
3: Yeah, let me think about it. So I kind of like run through like my staples, you know? So if we're looking at like my pantry staples, I love spelt flour. Um, It's super high in protein and iron and just like fiber and all these amazing nutrients. And it's just like Trump's wheat flour, (laughs) in my opinion. I
2: don't even know what spelt is.
3: Spelt technically is like a strain of wheat, but because it is so under-processed, it's not sprayed with glyphosate. You can usually only find organic spelt um, and it's not like processed so heavily that it just is... All of the nutrients are so intact with the spelt, and so it's so much easier to digest. You get so much more benefit from eating a whole grain-like spelt rather than like a refined wheat. Um, And so, yeah, spelt is like my go-to flour. I love it. But then my gluten-free go-to flours, I love cassava flour because Mm. it's super- absorbent it's like so absorbent I actually love mixing almond flour and cassava flour together because the almond flour is fatty it's from the almonds so it's got like a nice oily Ooh. kind of fatty base and then the cassava is super absorbent so together um they kind of create this like amazing gluten-free flour kind of mixture yeah that so works. those are my like yeah, those are my three flowers mm-hmm. that I love. I'm, I'm like visually going through my kitchen of like, okay, what are my staples? Um, <laughs> and of course, you start really, with flour
2: because you're the yes, pastry chef at heart. Yeah, we
3: were just talking about pastries. So I, my brain yes. like automatically went to it. <laughs> and then um, let me think. I always like, Like produce wise, I always have like a huge bowl of onions. I always have tons of garlic. I've always got sweet potatoes and potatoes. Like carbs are life in my house. Like I love (laughs) complex carbs. I used to be afraid of carbs, but then I realized that carbs don't make you fat, you know, at least refined carbs. I mean, uh, non refined carbs don't. Right. And they just – they're so delicious. You just can't get around them. And then like garbanzo beans, pinto beans, black beans. I love cannellini beans so much. They're so good. Yes. Um, I love cannellinis and then like, too. Yes. They're so good. And then like grains and lentils I love. So like my favorite grains. I love short grain brown rice right now for some reason. Okay. I like – I'm obsessed with it. I love the texture and how it's kind of chewy. Like I love really making um fried rice with short grain brown rice. And as far as just like spices and stuff, I love coconut aminos as a soy sauce replacement. I also love using coconut aminos in like marinades for mushrooms and stuff. Interesting. Cuz it has like that natural sugar content from the coconut palm. And so when you're using it on a cast iron, back to the cast iron. Yes, here we go. It, it caramelizes like gorgeously. Like for my bok choy, what I'll do is I'll just cut it in half and then I'll dip it in literal just coconut aminos. And then I'll sear it like immediately. I won't let it marinate. I'll just dip it and then I'll sear it on the cast iron. And it's literally the most to die for bok choy ever. It's so good. And it's so simple.
2: Okay. Well, I'm trying that too. I need to to write down everything of yours that I want to try. Take notes.
3: Yeah. My (laughs) ongoing list. Oh
2: my gosh. Amazing.
3: Totally. And then, (laughs) yeah. I'll just say one more thing. The other thing that I love is coconut sugar too. It like comes from the same thing. So there's coconut sugar and coconut aminos. They come from the same source. And coconut sugar is low on the glycemic index. It's non-refined and it's just overall healthier for you and for Mm -hmm. the planet. Too. It's like a better environmental choice. It uses so much less water than cane sugar. Um, and so yeah, I use coconut sugar and you'll see my cookbook. Like everything that requires sugar is usually coconut sugar.
2: Yes, yeah. You made those with the dulce de leche pops yesterday. You did oh yeah, yesterday. We already yes. talked
3: about this. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm totally. all on board with the coconut sugar train. I just need to like get some. I, yeah it's amazing I'm glad I you reminded it. me about it honestly because we <laughs> talked about it yesterday and I've just been running around mm-hmm. and I'm like okay you
3: know what yeah you've been busy
1: yeah <laughs>
2: cut the shit let's just order the
1: coconut <laughs> <going> your- <laughs> yes
2: totally <laughs> let's get it oh my gosh well this was such a pleasure it's like so you're a delight to talk to you every time and I love hearing about your story and kind of your journey from you know pastry chef world at uh, in middle school. To <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to where you are now. And it's just really exciting and, you know, cool to hear about. And I'm, you know, I feel happy to be part of this journey for you with you and, you know, wishing you the best of luck as you go through cookbook number two for oh, better,
3: thanks. for better, or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that goes.
2: <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be great. Well, was there anything else important to add that I didn't ask you yet?
3: Um, I don't think so. If you guys are interested in just talking to me or working with me, you can hit me up on Instagram at chef underscore bay or on TikTok. I'm on there too. And um yeah, I'm super excited. I'm kind of transitioning my business right now and I'm gonna be doing more online courses. Mm-hmm. Um, the people have spoken and there's so many women that are dealing with period problems that have painful periods. And so just a little teaser, I'm creating a whole course around how to kind of like heal your period. Through food. So I'm so oh, excited cool. about this course. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. And obviously, really near and dear to everything that you went through. So,
3: oh my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, we all need support as women. I feel like we are always swimming upstream. So I'm really excited to kind of, you know, I'm still in the preliminary phases of it, but I'm really excited to put this out into the world to help as many people as, as it needs to.
2: Yay. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Chef Bae. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The feedfeed, Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram.
4: See you next time. The FeedFeed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.